I serve as an elder in a congregation at home, uh, really about the last 10 or 12 years. And uh, I've entitled the message this morning, Things Your Elders Want You to Know. And I have not talked to your elders. So your elders right at this moment are sitting there going, I hope this goes well. Uh, but I promise you guys, you guys can relax because I can promise you these are things you want your congregation, this congregation, the congregation of the Lord's body to know. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about some things. The very first thing I want to talk about is they want you to help them create a climate for growth for your family and for the congregation. And I will tell you, culture, I, I was sat in a chamber meeting one day and there was a superintendent of our schools that, that came to the chamber meeting and he said, culture trumps strategy every time. And I don't know if I agree 100% with, the, he was talking about our schools and we can put all these programs together in our schools. We're going to try to help our kids through this and train our kids through that and we can have after school programs and all kinds of things. And at the end of the story, Culture trumps strategy every time. And he's talking about these children, their homes, their families, the culture that's in their homes, their families. And I don't know if I agree with the statement 100%. There's some things to, that we could spend the afternoon discussing every time. I don't know. There are kids that grow up in very rough homes and they turn out to be really good kids. And, and maybe they have influences in some other ways. And maybe some of the strategies have helped them and those kind of things. But the point the superintendent was making is a true point. Culture trumps strategy. And I promise you, your elders and your deacons, your leadership team here in the congregation get together and they talk about different things they want to do. They want to have a gospel meeting and we're going to call Brother Tide and have him come preach for us. And, or we're going to call another preacher and we're going to have him come in here and preach for us. And, and we're going to put some strategies together. Maybe we'll have some church fellowships and some things like that. And all those things are great. Nothing wrong with them. In fact, we need to be doing those things. Because some of those things establish culture in a congregation. I promise you, your elders want your help establishing culture in this congregation. A loving culture in this congregation. And it's you that bear the responsibility to that. They can strategize. They can talk about it. But it's you that creates the culture. It's you that give the hugs and shake the hands and smile and care about your neighbor and are Christians toward people that you leave this place and you're an influence in the community. Culture trumps strategy and you, you bear responsibility for culture. What you do in your home is dads and moms. That's culture. You're developing culture in a congregation. And I just want to tell you, your elders want you to help them create a loving atmosphere, a loving culture in the congregation. There's a passage in John chapter 13 and verse number 35. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Do you know how the world knows we belong to Christ? We care about one another and we truly care and love one another. The second thing I want to mention to you is your elders want you to be a team player. What I mean by that is you're not some rogue member doing their own thing independent of the body itself. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that said there should be no schism or schism in the body. Actually, both pronunciations, I believe, are correct. 
but that the members should have the same care one for another. Everybody plays a part in the body of Christ. Everybody needs to play a part in the body of Christ. There should not be a division or a schism or a schism among the members in the body of Christ. That we work together as a team and everybody plays a part. Some of you have been out on a softball field or a baseball field or something along those lines. And there's a shortstop. And there's a center fielder and a right fielder and a left fielder. And, and there's a pitcher and, and there's a catcher and a first base, second base, third base. Did I get them all or am I close? Everybody's got a part to play. And then all of a sudden the shortstop doesn't show up. Or the right fielder doesn't show up. Or maybe you've got the culture in the group that everybody wants to be the pitcher. I know when our girls were playing, that was a prized position. Everybody, be the, everybody can't be the pitcher. Everybody can't be the catcher. We all play roles in the body of Christ. Translate that for a moment. And then translate the fact that the shortstop doesn't show up. You can't depend on them. You can't depend on the first baseman to be there or the pitcher to be there. They're asking you, I promise you, your elders are asking you to be a team player. Play the role. Be a part of the body of Christ. Supply to those joints every need that the body needs. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 18. But God has set the members, everyone in the body, as it hath pleased him. He set them in the body. And they're asking you to be a part of that team. Your elders would want you to have the want-to spirit. I don't know how to describe this any better than the illustration I'm fixing to give you. But Lisa and I have raised four girls. We kept trying for a boy and after the fourth girl, we just figured that was not in the Lord's plans. So we raised four girls. Now our girls are all grown up now. and Like I said, we're grandparents of number nine. In fact, our last fourth daughter, not fourth in order, but fourth daughter is the one that had the baby in June and it's our last, now all four girls are moms and have had children. Previous to that we had one daughter hanging out there that, that, that hadn't given grandchildren to her parents yet, you know what I'm saying. And so now they're, they're all completed, they're all out of college, they're all school teachers they're all married, all that sort of stuff. So it's just Lisa and I now sitting at the dinner table. It's pretty sweet. It's quiet in the house. It's just kind of different than it used to be, you know? It's just a different environment than it used to be. But there was a time we were raising four girls. We were instructing four girls. Now we just watch them when they come over to visit. We don't, we don't do a whole lot of instructing nowadays like we did back in those days. But we would say back in those days, Amy, take the trash out. And Amy would go, <laughs> I can't believe I'm the only one that ever has to take the trash out. It's awful. That's not the want to spirit I'm talking about. The willing spirit, because mom and dad told me to, maybe you could argue, but not a want-to spirit. I promise you, your elders want to develop and want you to help develop a culture of a want-to spirit. They want to develop a culture of people that want to. 
not have to, not even necessarily are willing to, but that want to. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. How many of us have stood up with the elders and the deacons and said, I'm here to help you. What can I take off your plate? What can I help you with as a part of this team that I can make your job easier? How many of us have stood up and said, here am I, send me. I promise you, your elders want that want-to spirit. Colossians 3, 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Heartily. That's the spirit you're your elders are wanting from the congregation, I promise you. They want you to lead your family. You know one of the best ways to make your elders' job easy is to take care of your business. It just solves a ton of elder challenges and issues if you take care of your business. If you're a dad, lead your home. If you're a mom, take care of your business in your home. And I'll even break it down a little bit more than that. Pay your bills, go to work, raise your children, teach and instruct your children, help them with the tools they need to be effective in life. I promise you, your elders want you to lead your family, help your children, raise them, teach them, train them. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you would take so much off elders' plates. And this is true here anywhere. If you just take care of business, take care of your responsibilities that you need to take care of on a daily basis. Things your elders want you to know, they want you to follow them as they follow Christ. And I'll tell you up front, elders are not perfect men. They're not perfect people. But they want you to follow them as they follow Christ. Don't follow them in their imperfections. You may see your elders lose their patience at times. You may see your elders uh, struggle or say something that may not... But they're going to want you to follow them as they follow Christ. In the way that they follow Christ, they want you to follow them. Look at this passage, Hebrews 13 and verse number 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or the way they live their life. Look at the way they live their life. Follow their faith. If they have weaknesses, don't follow the weaknesses. Follow their faith. Follow them as they follow Christ, whose faith follow. You know, your elders, I promise you this morning, want you to be a giver. And I'm not talking about just contribution. It may include that in that concept, but I'm talking about in life. You're a giver. There are people that are givers, and there are people that are takers. And they're going to want you to develop that side of yourself that is a giver, that helps, that has that spirit of wanting to help, that has that spirit of wanting to do. A giver. I think of a couple of passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6, This I say, and he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Your elders know that if you're not a giving spirit, if you don't have that spirit about you, and you're sowing sparingly, 
They know that the harvest is sparing. But they also know that if you'll sow bountifully, the harvest is bountiful. They want to develop that in a congregation of people to be a giving people and have that characteristic about them. I love this passage here. It's Haggai chapter 2 verse number 19 is the seed yet in the barn. Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth fruit. Why did the vine not bring forth fruit? Because the seed's still in the barn. It never got planted. Why do we not have a harvest? Because we're not sowing seed. That's what this verse is saying. If, is your seed still in the barn? Are you hanging on to your seed? If you're not willing to give and sow and plant and bountifully do that, then you can't expect a harvest if the seed doesn't get in the ground. I think you guys out here in West Texas understand that when you're planting crops, that you wouldn't expect a harvest at the end of it if you didn't have a planting season where the seed got in the ground. It would be really foolish of a farmer to sit around and go, man, I can't wait till harvest. Boy, this is going to be a good harvest this year. And his seed's still in the barn. Wouldn't make any sense. And the same thing's true on a spiritual level for all of us. You know some things your elders want you to know? They want you to excel to your potential. I promise you, they want you to grow and develop and be everything that you can be. I promise you. The Bible talks about it from a standpoint of speakers. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 12. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying or the building up of the church. Be good at it. Excel at it. And I promise you, your elders are going to want you to be everything you can be to develop to, the, to your potential, to excel to your potential. They're going to want that for everybody that's in the room. I can promise you this morning your elders want to see your children grow and develop. That's part of the reason they want a culture that's a loving culture and atmosphere in a congregation. It's part of the reason why that they want dads and moms to take care of business in their home. They want your children to develop. They want to create a culture and a congregation to help your children and your families thrive. I promise you this morning. You know, there's been some times or instances among any group of people, including the church, where the environment or the culture was not conducive to growth. And there's been some times, and I'm not talking about Wheeler, I'm just talking about the church at large. There's been times when there were challenges and problems and chaos and struggles and all that sort of thing. I can tell you as an elder of our congregation, and our congregation, I was going to tell you also, this is the first meeting I've held since COVID. And I'm starting the week off a little weak voiced this week, but I think some of it's because I've not been built up into talking for continuously and singing continuously. And last week we had a, con a meeting at our congregation. We had morning services, we had evening services, we had activities, we were yelling at kids all week long and going, hey, everybody needs your attention. Because in our congregation at home, I don't know the exact number, but in the group of young people that we had last week in our congregation, I want to say it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 or 50 kids 
we had maybe five or six of them that were in their teens and the rest of them were this tall. They were eight and under. I mean a boatload of eight and under kids. That's how you get to be a grandfather and nine grandchildren, I guess, is part of it. All my grandkids were there last week. All of them, all the girls came in. I've got two girls that don't live in the community, but they came in for the meeting. But even as a part of our congregation, we've got little kids and they run around and there's times it's frustrating. I've just got to be honest with you. There's times we're concerned about them knocking over our old people, you know, because it's one continual race when they get in the building. Goodness, they hadn't had this much space to run a race in a while and they're racing each other down the, the foyer area of the church. All kind of, we're going, Bob, you know, Junior, stop running, walk. We don't want to hurt sister. Or brother so-and-so, he's on a cane. You know, we don't want to knock the cane out from underneath him. But we are blessed to have those kids. And I want to tell you, there is nothing in my heart wants anymore, and I promise your elders feel the same way. They want those kids to develop, grow up, and be in the church more than anything else. I want a culture in our congregation. I'm not saying a culture that lets kids do anything they want to do. Loving someone also corrects someone. And there's a time to correct and all that sort of thing. But I'm saying that we don't hate kids in our congregation. You know, occasionally you'll get some old, let's just say cantankerous old person. Y'all probably don't have them at Wheeler. But occasionally at home, we've got some cantankerous old people. We don't want to go on a cruise this week because there's kids on the cruise. We don't like kids. We don't want to be around kids. There's a reason why we grew old. We don't want kids. And then they come into your church building, and they don't want kids. They want to knock a kid over that passes them by. They just don't like kids. I just want to tell you as a congregation, we love kids. And we want kids around for a long period of time. We want them to know about God. We want them to know the Bible. We want them to know about their families. All that sort of stuff. And let me tell you, as a shepherd of the church, you want to really get me fired up? Start messing with our kids. I'm telling you, that's the future of the church. Don't mess with our kids. Do not mess with our kids. We want these kids growing up. Let mom and dad take care of discipline. Let mom and dad take care of... I'm not saying that there's not other people on duty that say, Hey, Junior, you're fixing to hurt yourself. You're counting mufflers out in the parking lot. We love you enough to say, Hey, stop it. I'm not saying don't do that at all. I'm just saying we love kids. That's why we would tell them to stop it. That's why we would tell them to not run in the building. We love them. We want good for everyone that's in the room. Your elders want to see your children grow and develop in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Do you know these elders today want you to walk worthy of God? He called you into his kingdom and glory. And they would instruct you as a father does his children. Because they love your kids. They love you. You are their kids. They want good for you. They want good for your family. Some things your elders would want you to know. Another thing I'd mention to you is they would want you to know that they want to listen to you. Everybody in the room, I promise you, your elders want to hear you. They want to hear what you have to say. 
But I want to talk to you a little bit about how to talk to elders for a moment. Years ago, I know you guys recently have gone through a building program. I don't know. Last time I held a meeting for you guys, y'all owned this property. And there was no building on it. And you guys have built a building. There's a ton of work goes into that and a ton of challenges that go into that. And I don't know. I, again, I haven't talked to your elders. They didn't write the sermon. I wrote the sermon. But I'm gonna, I wrote the sermon because a few years ago we went through a building program. We've got a building kind of similar to this probably in square footage. It's designed somewhat like this building. And we had a challenge in our congregation. And I'm not trying to create an issue for your congregation or your elders at all, but I'm going to tell you what became an issue in our congregation is whether we had a steeple on that building or not. And here's, I'm going to present the issue to you. We had a person came to the elders and said, if that building doesn't have a steeple, I'm not happy and I'm out of here. Apparently you want a steeple. We had others came to us and said, if you put a steeple on that building, I'm out of here. I'm mad. I'm out of here. Ain't going to happen. We're not going to have a steeple on a building. Well, apparently you don't want a steeple. Thank you for sharing. But the elders have a problem. Somebody ain't going to be happy. And it doesn't matter what decision is made. Somebody's not going to be happy. Now, if you're curious, I'll tell you how we solved it. And the answer is we have a steeple on our building. Y'all may not. I don't know. I didn't notice when I drove up that you had a steeple because honestly, steeples don't matter that much to me and apparently don't matter enough to me to leave over whatever the decision was. But I want to talk to you about how that issue was approached. I'm not talking about the issue. Y'all can make up your own mind whether you want a steeple or don't want a steeple. I don't care if you have a steeple or don't have a steeple. I'm telling you the way it was approached to the elders. I promise you the elders wanted to hear viewpoints because elders make judgments all day long about things. Let me kind of translate it this way. It's kind of like Lisa in our home is my wife and she comes to me and she says, I'm getting my way on this or I'm out of here. Well, thank you, darling, for being the team player you are. But how good would it be if I, as a father or a husband, Lisa came to me and said, hey, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. And I go, I refuse to listen to anything you have to say. I am the leader of our home. But you'd go, you're an ignoramus if you do that sort of stuff. That's ridiculous. You know how you get to 50 years of marriage, Beverage? You better be listening, right? And any father, any dad, any husband worth his salt is going to be listening to the needs of his family, whatever those needs are. going to be paying attention to those. That doesn't mean, in the case, let's get back to elders in a congregation, that doesn't mean that elders make a decision that is everybody likes. They're making judgments all the time about things. What songbook we use, what color the carpet ought to be, what color the paint is on the walls, all those sort of things. I'm not saying that you're going to like the decision at the end. I'm just saying they want to hear input. 
so they can try to make the best decision for a group that they can make. But they're asking people to be a team spirit. You know, the way we approach them matters. If we approach and say, man, I'm out of here. If I don't get my way, I'm taking my ball and going home. That's not exactly fair to the elders. They can't make anyone happy. Or apparently somebody's not going to be happy at the end of it. And like I say, if you're curious, ask me later and I'll tell you how we came about the decision that we ultimately ended up with a steeple. But I will also tell you that in that, both parties still came to church when it was all said and done. Okay? When it's all said and done. Because elders want everyone coming and being a part, but that doesn't mean everybody can be happy with every decision that's made. I want you to look at a couple of passages here. Proverbs 11 and 14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there's safety. Your elders want to listen. They even want counsel. Let us know what you're thinking. Talk to us about what you've got on your mind. I promise you they want to know. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 15 though says that if you're going to talk, speak the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. Speaking the truth, how? In love. How we approach that matters. There's another passage in Colossians 4 verse number 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. How should your speech come across? With grace. Some of us are better at that than others. And I, I struggle with this at times. There's times when I kind of come across boisterous or whatever. And I will also tell you that sometimes your strengths are also your weaknesses. I'm a little bit outgoing and a little bit boisterous and all those sort of things. Those strengths help me. They help me in public speaking. I'm not afraid to get up in front of an audience and talk to people. I'm not afraid to go knock on somebody's door. Talk to people. Those are great strengths, but they're also weaknesses because sometimes come, somebody comes up, wants to have a conversation, and I come across boy, boisterous and over, overdoing it. The very thing that is a strength is also a weakness at times. I've got a son-in-law, great guy. I'd love to have more of him in me. He's a very gentle spirit. Meek, humble, gentle. I mean, he's got characteristics that make God look good. You know what I mean? He just is a, a genuinely good-hearted, loves people, but he's, he's very low-key. He can sit in a room and you'll never notice he's there. I mean, he just, he's just very calm all the time. That's a great characteristic, but you know his strength is also his... Weakness. How do you think he feels when he stands up in front of people or you ask him to go knock on a door or something along those lines? That's not his strength. The very thing that is his strength is his weakness. And it's hard for all, we all struggle, guys. It's hard finding that word. The older I get, it's the word balance. Balancing those things in our life. But how we approach, let your speech be always with grace. How we approach our elders. But I promise you, your elders want to listen. They want to know. That, that way they can make a good decision. If they don't know how the congregation feels about certain things, it's hard for them to make judgments for the congregation. But at the same time, they've got 100 plus people in the room. They can't make everyone happy with every decision. It's impossible to do that. Help them out. Talk to them. 
And I want to tell you the most important thing this morning that I want to share with you is your elders want you to know that they want to see you in heaven. More than anything else, if you're in this room today, your elders want you in heaven. They want to see you in heaven. And I'll share with you a passage, and you may disagree, and you may say, well, we'll never know one another in heaven and all that, and there's a discussion, a debate about that. I'm just going to tell you where I'm at at this point in my life, subject to I could change my mind at any time. And when I cross over the River Jordan, I may change my mind about a lot of things because I may figure some things out that I don't. But I just look into Scripture and get glimpses of Scripture that teach certain things. And I'm in the place where I think we'll know one another in heaven, where we will recognize each other in heaven. I'm going to share with you a passage of Scripture as to one of the reasons why I believe that's the case. And this is it. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 19. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming now once you get the context here this is the Apostle Paul he's looking at the church at Thessalonica and he says you want to know what's my hope joy crown of rejoicing the Apostle Paul had worked with the church at Thessalonica he had helped them, helped start them, develop them, and all of that. And then he's writing a letter back to them. He says, you want to know what will make me happy? You want to know what's going to be my crown of rejoicing? You want to know what my joy is? I'll tell you what my joy is when I see you when Christ comes back and I see that you're there. This is my work. This is what I love. These are the people I love. I want to see them. I want to see them in heaven. Now I want to see you guys in heaven and I'm in no way discounting that. I want to see you, see you, see you. I want to see your, grand, your children, grandchildren grow up in the Lord. I want to come back in 20 years and see faithful children that have grown up and they're raising families and doing godly things and those kind of things. If I come back in 20 years, I'm an old man the next time. But you know at home... My, we call our congregation College Park Church of Christ. We started that congregation, and I say we, but a group of people started that congregation back in 1993. From the ground up, there were 20 people in the room, 22 people in the room. Most of those were little children, because four of them were Lisa's and, and my little children. That congregation today meets 100 plus, 120 or whatever, I think it's on the membership rolls. You know what my life's work has been? That congregation of people. Everything about that congregation of people. There's been good times, bad times. There's been struggles. There's been amazing heights. We had a service one time. And we had 24 people came forward. One service. You know what one service I would not have wanted to miss? Would have been that one. Do you know why? Because College Park to me is my hope, my joy, my crown of rejoicing. Do you, want, you know what I want to see? I want to see every person in that room going ahead. That's what I want. Everyone in that room. 
even with our challenges and our blemishes and our struggles and all that, but we've agreed as a congregation of people to go through life together, to hold hands together. We're going to make tough decisions together, but we want folks going to heaven when it's said and done. That's my life's work. I've worked with some other congregations through the years, love them, care about them, want good, want to see them in heaven as well. But this passage to me speaks more College Park to me because it's my life's work. It's what I've spent the last 20 years plus working on. And that, don't get me wrong. Do not misunderstand me. It's not just me. We want a team of people doing that. And a culture in the room that feeds that. But I want to see them in heaven. When Christ Jesus returns in his glory, I want them to be there. That's what it's all about. I promise you, your elders want that for you. You're their life's work. Everything about you is what they care about, love, their wives and their children, their families. I promise you, they want it for you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.